Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome your hosts of that startup show, Ray Johnston and Benjamin Law. Welcome to That Startup Show. I'm Ray Johnston and I'm joined again by Benjamin Law to answer the questions that tech entrepreneurs are just too scared to ask. Or too up themselves to ask, more likely. Oh, that's a bit rude. <laughs> I respectfully withdraw the remark. Anyway, you were the one who called them scared. We're both terrible people. Tonight, it's co-founders and scaling culture as we look at whether hell really is other people. And if robots take all our jobs, will we get to experience robot hell from Futurama? Because that could be worth it. Remember, Ben, hell is always better in cartoon. Mm. Now, in the case of no robot takeover, you have to establish a culture like a SCOBY for your entrepreneurial kombucha. Ooh, which reminds me, have we planned a kombucha episode? Can someone make a note of that? Culture isn't easy to get right, though. For instance, 20 years ago, a lot of founders thought that corporate culture meant rave culture. And now you know what really went wrong with MySpace. <laughs> These days, company employ culture officers, sort of like the director on a cruise ship. They book entertainment, arrange meals, and hope there isn't an outbreak of dysentery. And now you know what really went wrong with MySpace. I think the most important thing is to allow people to have impressive job titles, like, say, social inspirementation guru. They publish your blog updates. Or chief refuse ninja. Hmm. That's the cleaning person. Where did all the recycling go? Ninja skills. So make sure you employ an executive vice president of workplace resource identity nomenclature assignation, who's the person of in charge of coming up with these moronic job titles. I am happy to take that job if it's available. <laughs> of course, the culture is set by the co-founders, the parents, if you like, of the company, because founding a company together is like a marriage. Well, I wouldn't say that, Ray, at least not until we've had some sort of postal plebiscite to determine if that's actually OK. Yeah, fair call. But finding a co-founder can be like a weird dating scene. Deciding someone isn't the right culture fit is the same as breaking up with them and saying, it's not you, it's my entrepreneurial SCOBY. We really should have saved that joke for the kombucha episode. Let's just focus on getting through this one, mate. Mm. Jeez. Co-founders. You said it. We know that you're multi-screeners, or at least two tabs on the browser. So please feel free to tweet us at TSU Show or use the hashtag ThatStartupShow. Okay, it's time to chat with Fred and Michelle about the huge world of working with our fellow humans and humanoids. Fred, you're good at finding things. What's the best way to find a co-founder? Is it some sort of meetup app or is it better to approach someone in person at a hackathon or a pitch night or a LAN party or do you just do it with your brother? <laughs> You know, I, I think um, you've got to go through some crucible or some challenge together. So whether that's, you know, on an adventure together or you, know, you go through school together, that's, that's kind of tough. Mm. Um, you can live together. If you can live together, it tends to work pretty well. 
going to university and struggling through something, I think there's, there's some sort of struggle and you then you bond together. And those people that you bond together during that struggle um, and you go and win that struggle, that tends to, for me, be the, the crucible moments. Mm. Now, Michelle, Envato has built this really great reputation as being a fantastic place for women and it's one the coolest company for women to work three years running so what are your co-founders secrets there does it come to down to the culture that you set up right from the start the um the founders really set um very strong core values from the very beginning and um and they really do live and breathe those values you hear about them all the time and all their decisions are aligned uh to those values and I think that's really helped to, to grow a really great uh, place to work. So how, how did Envato especially become great for women? And in what ways specifically is it great for women to work at? Uh, well, I think all of our diversity um, p- approaches and policies, um, parental leave and those sorts of things really help. But it's not just about the benefits, it's about the type of work they get to do, the flexibility. Mm. Uh, so Envato is very flexible. You can work um, from home, you can work from cafes, you can work from anywhere around the world um, for a period of time. And I think that really helps for women, especially women coming back from um, mm from parental leave and uh, if you've got kids, um, like many of us have, um, it helps us to get kids to school and go to the important things. So mm. Nice. So you've got this culture, but you've become a billion dollar company, a, a Unaru. How do you keep the integrity of your culture as you scale, particularly if it happens quickly? I think you have to be very careful as you scale that you don't... um, Collis often talks about it as a fish tank. You don't change all the water at once or you'll kill all the fish. Um, (laughs) I like that analogy. And it's a nice analogy, right? Um, But it's just really important that you keep uh, your values and culture in mind as you're hiring people, so the assessment uh, piece... Um, and um, and all of the, your policies are fair and um, and that you keep that sort of consistent. Envato um, is very fair, so we often, if we're changing anything, we really think about our values and fair go before we change anything um, within our culture. So. Fred, there's a lot of conversation about culture fit and, you know, ascribing values to your, your company, your business of, you know, people that you want, you know, people fulfilling certain prerequisites. But how do you make sure that that culture fit doesn't actively exclude certain types of people? Well, uh, I, I would actually want to exclude certain types of people. <laughs> sure. Uh, from Finder, because... L- like who? <laughs> well, I just think there are people who, you know... They don't really want to... If, they, if, if you just want a job, there are plenty of companies that will give you a job. And, and at Finder, that's not the culture that we have. We have a, an aspiring culture where people... Well, our fifth value at Finder is called Master Your Craft. And that's a, a dedication to continuously improving yourself. And certain people, you know, they don't want to do that. They, they have other things in their life. They're not there to, to continuously improve and master the, the work that they do. And, and if you don't have that inside you, then, yeah, we try and... I don't think it's going to work. You're going to have, a, you're going to have a, not a very nice time at Finder. Um, so I guess we try and test those values, like like Michelle was saying, in the very in the recruitment stage, and we just help people have a better job, you know, because they align to our values, and um, yeah, that's the environment it is. I heard you agreeing there. Does yeah, that apply with you? That's right. Yeah, mm. yeah, same with us. Yeah. 
Now, company perks, they can be a big draw card <laughs> to some employees. I want to know some of the best perks that you've ever heard of and also some disasters. I'm talking broken limbs on slides in offices that they shouldn't exist in. <laughs> <laughs> We're not um, waiting any slides, no, are we? No, no. <laughs> any companies with slides? I don't know, our um, policy of work from anywhere around the world um, is a huge draw card for a lot of people. So yeah. I'd say Does that's it a really... become a liability? Uh, look, I think it is um, up to the managers to really manage the output of work while you're working from anywhere. So it, it can be, uh, particularly if you go and work from somewhere and don't have the right um, Wi-Fi or the time zone is really crazy, then it can be a liability as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we don't have a slide, so... <laughs> well, what about you, Fred? Well, uh, you know, for us, um, I think what we're really mindful of is that those kind of perks and those kind of things like that, that's not culture. Um, like having a yoga, free yoga classes and dogs at work, that's not culture. Culture is how, you, how, you, how your crew acts when you're not watching. That's the culture of the company, right? Mm. So for me, what I, I think all those slides and fun attractions and all those kind of things, actually what I think um, all those companies have them for is to actually, people who have, I guess, left the company, but they keep them on gardening leave, they're the ones on the slides and the fun <laughs> machines because they're just keeping them around. They turn up every day and that's what they do because mm. they need to retain the talent so they don't go to competitors. Yeah. So we don't have things like that. You know, we don't... Um, but one of the things we did put in recently was showers and we're, 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 we're really big on um, exercise. There's a really crazy, um, uh, I guess, running club at Finder. I just think they're very competitive people. That's why... <laughs> uh, <laughs> But they run much harder than I realised. You know, yeah. they, they run little half marathons every weekend. It does sound like yoga with dogs would fit in right there, though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know. No dogs at Finder. <laughs> and, folks, finally, how is technology changing employment and also changing this conversation? To what extent is what we're talking about going to be redundant when the robots come for our jobs anyway? Will they, will they come for our jobs or will there always be roles for people in this discussion about culture yeah. fit and otherwise? I think there's, um, there's going to be always a role for that human-to-human -human insight piece, so I don't think the robots can ever take away, mm -hmm. you know, that sort of insight piece. Depends uh, how good we make them. Oh, that's mm. true. <laughs> yeah. And I think with technology, technology is only going to help us do our roles better. Um, you'll still need people to program these robots in and make sure that they have the right empathy. Um, you know, it's not just about um, robots and automation. Mm. I think there's still a place for that human-to-human mm. -human, um, contact. And that there are some things that you can't automate. That's I, right. I think psychology and those I, sorts I, of things. I actually, I disagree. I think you can get a robot to do everything uh, eventually, but it's not going to be distributed like we think ubiquitously. It's going to be only some people who have enough money will have a robot that works for them. Mm. Um, it's not actually going to be fair. Unfortunately, the internet's not fair. There's like... 10 websites with most of the traffic. Um, it's just the way that the human, humans evolved from lobsters, and which has a natural hierarchy, and, and, and that's unfortunately the way resources get distributed. And I, I think it will happen, but it won't be everyone will have a robot that works for them. That is all we have time for. Please thank our panel, Fred Shabesta and Michelle Ritzdale.